Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Hey, we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter, what, 21? I think it is. And look at a story that we're going to talk about today as we conclude our love and marriage series. Today is the grand finale of love and marriage. And every time I say the word love and marriage or I drive by that banner and I see the words love and marriage out there, that song pops into my head. Does 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 that song pop into your head too? Love and marriage, love and marriage, they go, go together, together like a horse and marriage. So we'll spare you the rest of the song, but that, for some reason that just kind of pops into my brain of like love and marriage, that song. So we're going to conclude it today. Today's going to be a great message for any married couples, but also even for single people, you're going to get a lot out of this. And so let's look at 1 Kings 21. All right, I'm going to read this to you and try not to eat my hair in the wind, which is a hazard to being on the roof. Can I just say, like, I conquered some fear today getting up on that ladder and staring out, standing on this roof. How many of you would be scared to get up here? <laughs> I love this honking thing. It's great because I can't see your eyes. So um, don't forget, too, that your battery could die if you're just sitting here stalled. So don't forget to turn on your car every once in a while, but go ahead and turn to 1 Kings 21, 1 through 25. I'm reading out of the NIV version. Feel free if you're online, grab your Bible with your family, um, grab your Bible in your car, but I believe that it is on the screen if you are online, if you are online. So sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use as a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard. If you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home like any grown man, and he became sullen and angry and basically threw a fit because Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat like any good toddler would. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you sullen and why won't you eat? He answered, Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard. If you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. So Jezebel, his wife, said, Is this how the king of Israel acts? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I will get you that vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters to ah- in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters, she writes, she writes, Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them give have them bring charges that he is accused of 
or that he has cursed both God and king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And even though, I think this is interesting, even though Jezebel um, is from another country, um, she and doesn't follow God, she still knows God's laws and she uses them for her benefit. So the elders and the noble who lived and the noblemen who lived in Naboth city did as Jezebel directed in her letter, she had written them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth, Naboth in a prominent place among the people. The two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and king. So they took him outside the city and they stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up. Take possession of your vineyard, the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you, So he, because he is no longer alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the word of the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found you. So you have. So you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, he said. I am going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, and of Bashah, son of Ahijah, because you have accused, you have aroused my anger and have caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged by his wife, Jezebel. Oh, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word in this in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. God, that is a foreshadowing and helps us understand a little bit better about our own lives. People's lives and natures really never change. Nothing is new under the sun, and there's something that we can learn about ourselves. So open our hearts to receive any conviction or guidance spoken to us by the Holy Spirit so that we may be transformed more into your image and glorify you even more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And if you agree, there you go. There you go. Like like to hear you. Okay. So hey, as we dive into this message, we're gonna walk through key portions of that passage that Amy just read. But I got a question for you, ladies. If I can ask you an honest question, how many of you ladies would admit that sometimes, occasionally, you can be a little bit controlling, just a tad bit controlling? Some people are like, "Yeah, yeah, that's me. That's me." You're you're just. Uh, you're honking your horn. Maybe it's the husband honking for you. Yep, that's my wife. She's controlling. Huh? Let me. Okay, you're just letting everybody know. That's okay. I'm totally fine. We're just gonna be honest here this morning. So, not a problem. So, let's not leave the men off the hook, though. Okay, ladies. Okay, because ladies can be controlling, but men, maybe you're aggressive 
at work and in your hobbies, you're a go-getter, but at home you can tend to be a little bit, sometimes too passive. Too passive at home when it comes to family. We got some honks there too. Yeah, okay, so we're gonna talk about those two issues and how we see those in this story here. But passivity and controlling, those can be big hindrances to marriage, not just marriage, but really any relationship in life. And so we're gonna look at the marriage of Ahab and Jezebel. If you think you have a bad marriage, Ahab and Jezebel might make you feel good about your marriage because this is perhaps like the worst marriage in the Bible right here. And so we're gonna, we're gonna walk through <laughs> these people here. So uh, Amy just read through the story, but like I said, I'm just gonna go ahead and, and highlight a few things here as we talk about these guys. Now, just to set it up, King Ahab was the, the seventh king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he was actually a very... Uh, very good military king and political king. He was a go-getter there, but unfortunately at home, he was passive. Now, his role as the king was to point the people of Israel to God. He, the, the whole point of having a king was to lead them well and to make sure that the people of God served God and worshiped God, but Ahab did not do that. He actually led them further away from God. They worshiped other gods. They even got into calf worship. They worshiped cows. And then he married Jezebel, and things went downhill from there. Like, things got even worse when Jezebel came in the picture. They had all kinds of idols that they worshiped. They even got into Baal worship. In fact, the Bible says that Ahab did more evil than any of the kings did before him. Did you catch that? Amy read that. Let me read that verse again, verse 25. This time in the New Living, no one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's right as Ahab did under the influence of his wife, Jezebel. Uh-oh. Okay, so we're going to talk about this. Ahab in this story represents the passive spouse. Jezebel in this story represents the controlling spouse. And we say spouse because those roles can actually be reversed. Amy and I have seen where those roles are reversed. The, the controlling one's not always the woman. The passive one's not always the man. But generally speaking, that is actually how it goes. But if Amy and I are honest, and again, we're being honest here this morning, sometimes we can reverse that. I can be controlling uh, too much. And so that's why we kind of said, let's, let, let's let have Ahab represent the passive spouse and Jezebel represent the controlling spouse. And so the story starts off with Ahab wanted to buy a piece of property. Did you catch that? Do you, do you remember that? He wanted a piece of property right next to the palace. He asked the guy who owned it, Naboth, hey, can I buy this? He said, no. And look at how King Ahab responded. Verse four, this is what Ahab did. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. Which Naboth probably didn't say it that way, but that's how Ahab heard it. I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He lay on his bed, sulking, and refused to eat. Like literally, Ahab is throwing a fit. All because he wants something, he wants a property, and Naboth won't give it to him. Now, did you catch what Ahab wanted to do with the property? He wanted to buy the property so he could make for himself a vegetable garden. Now, as a dude reading this story right here, I kind of look at Ahab and I'm like, okay, bro, you've lost a few man points on that. Like, 
You don't want to put up like an archery range or a man cave or a fort or something cool like, like you want to put in a vegetable garden. <laughs> like, okay, awesome. So he's losing some man points, but let's be fair. Every man is entitled to at least one chick thing, right? Okay, let's be fair, okay? Every man can have one chick thing. Some guys are into shopping. Some guys are into their hair. Some guys are into chick flicks. They'll cry at chick flicks. Some guys are into candles. I know guys that love candles. They love the smell of candles. Every man can have his chick chick thing. So here's my chick thing as a dude. I actually love the movie Pride and Prejudice. And... I have watched it many, many, many times, probably 25 times. Amy's watched it like 2,500 times, but I really enjoy that movie. There's a lot of chick flicks like that that I actually kind of enjoy. So that's me. That's my chick, chick thing, and so that's kind of where I'm at. You probably have yours. Naboth, his chick thing, apparently is vegetable gardens. So he doesn't get the property for his vegetable garden. What does Naboth or what does Ahab do? He throws a fit. He, he goes home and he's just whining. He's sulking and he's not even eating. That's how upset he is. That's how Jezebel finds him. They're just laying there, just sulking. It kind of reminds me of like the little kid on the playground. You know, he's trying to play with his friends and they won't play with him the way he wants them to play. Like they won't play by his rules. And so he's like, fine, I'll take my ball and I'll just go home. And throws a fit and doesn't want to play with anybody. That's what Ahab's doing here. He's throwing a fit and he goes home. Now, unfortunately, many of us, though we did that as a kid, we still do similar things as an adult. Now, we may not throw out, throw all out tantrums and, and fits as an adult, though I have seen adults do that, and it's not pretty. But our fits, they can change. And I've seen... A lot of men who have, in, in, in moments like this where Ahab is kind of thrown a fit, they just withdraw. They won't talk to anybody. They won't do anything. And they get very passive. And you see this played out in marriage where husbands, if they feel like they can't succeed in something, they're just not going to try. If they feel like they're not good enough or they aren't going to be seen as good enough, like maybe they don't measure up to the woman's, the wife's expectations, they don't measure up to her dad, maybe she had a good dad and and the husband doesn't feel like he can even come close to being like her dad and so he's just constantly letting his wife down. He tries to do things and when he tries to do good things to serve, to help, it's not good enough and how he knows is because she tells him. And when that happens in the marriage context, the man's going to withdraw, he's going to shut down, and he will become passive. So ladies, you got to understand something very, very important. Your role in your relationship with your husband is so, so important. Because a godly woman can make a weak man stronger, but a controlling woman can make a weak man weaker. Now, let's be real. All of us men, we're weak. We're weak. So a godly woman in our life can make us stronger, but a controlling woman in our life can make us weaker. You got to understand the power that you have, women. You can make or break a man based upon how you treat him, how you talk to him, the things you say about him and to him greatly affect him. 
You can take a man and you can make him stronger or you can con- try to control him and you can make him weaker. So Amy's going to address this as we look at Jezebel who represents the controlling spouse. Any reason why you picked me to bring this word? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so Jezebel represents the controlling spouse. And let's be real, ladies, sometimes if we have leadership giftings, we get a bad rap, right? Um, in the church, we've liked to say things like, oh, I don't like that girl, so she's got a Jezebel spirit. That's not what we're talking about today. We're going to define Jezebel spirit because a Jezebel spirit doesn't only Um, be on a woman, but men and women can both struggle with a Jezebel spirit. And what is a Jezebel spirit? It's a controlling spirit. And we'll dive into that a little bit more. But I mean, who of you doesn't struggle with a little bit of control in your life? Anybody just that laid back? Maybe the person with their feet kicked back in the the front. I see these little feet. It's so cute. Um, I don't know. Anybody in here struggle with the controlling spirit sometimes? Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. You can even raise your hand. Um, Here are some indicators that you might struggle with a controlling spirit. And this is something that goes on in our thoughts. Let's be real, a lot of our thoughts don't come out um, of our mouth, um, but that doesn't mean they don't affect our lives. So when we think that we're the only reliable or capable person in our workplace or our home, we might be struggling with the Jezebel spirit. Or that our marriage, or any relationship for that matter, is basically surviving only because of us, we might be struggling with the Jezebel spirit. If you have a certain way of doing things, and it can only be done in that way, you might be struggling with a Jezebel spirit. Now, none of us has a particular way that we like things done, right? Um, Maybe just a few of us. I know that growing up, my mom made the bed a certain way, and so it's important for me to tuck the sheets in just right. Um, They can't be inside out. I'm trying to think of some of my weird quirks, but I have a lot of dishes. I know, I have some weird quirks. But that's another thing that we'll get into later. Um, I'm just a little bit OCD. So none of us has that. But the issue that happens is not only that, that we struggle with it needing to be done the way we think it needs to be done, but we're unhappy when somebody else does it differently or we're frustrated or we're irritated because it didn't get done the way I think it needs to be done. And that's an indicator that you could be struggling with the Jezebel spirit. Um, It often happens, right, when we're watching somebody else do something, and that is just an open door to the fact that people that struggle with the Jezebel spirit struggle trusting other people. They struggle to trust them to get things done, Um, and not just in the hard or the important things, but also in some of the small things, like how dishes are done, or how they write that report, or how the table is set, or how things are folded and put away, the order in which things should be done. So I think it's important to understand that when you're struggling with the Jezebel spirit, it is not just between you and your spouse, it's going to move into other relationships in your workplace and with your family. And the truth is, the reason that they struggle to trust other people is because people don't meet their expectations, or they feel that they've been failed in some, t- some way, or they don't do it in the time manner that they would like it to be done in. And when we struggle with the Jezebel spirit, we are really struggling with fear. And that fear causes us to control. We're afraid, and so we feel better when we're in control. 
And you know, we're coming out of COVID, right? And a lot of fear was produced in COVID. And so what happens? A lot of control happens. I want to determine when I wear or don't wear the mask. I want to determine when other people wear or don't wear the mask. I want to determine when I go out or I come in. And so when we are losing control, it felt like we were losing it. And so that is an indicator of the Jezebel spirit when we don't feel like we can be in control. And the worst is when someone else is in control, that is the worst. So I want to talk a little bit about Jezebel as a person because guess what? She was a human being. She's not just a Bible character. Um, She's a person. And her name literally is a Baal worship chant. It's a chant. Um, And you can chant this with me. It literally means where is my prince, which I think is crazy because I think if you're single right now, you're already saying, where's my prince at, God? When can I expect him? If you're married, you're like, where's my prince, huh? I thought you were going to do the dishes. My prince would do the dishes, right? And so if you're married, you're saying, where's my prince? I don't know about you, but I lose my husband in my own house almost every day. Anybody else lose their husband in their own house or is it just me? Yes. So I'm constantly saying, where's my prince? I can't find him in the house. And, and he says that he's mowing the lawn. What are, you, what are your, he says he's doing yard work or something like that. But you know where I honestly find my prince at most of the time? On his throne, scrolling through Facebook or reading a book. But w- let's be real, women. If you have small children, you also find yourself on the throne, locked in your bathroom, hiding away from small children, okay? But getting back to the fact that Jezebel is a human, she did not come out evil. (laughs) She was not born evil. She developed coping mechanisms to deal with her life. She was a princess and not a princess in the Disney standard of princess. She was a princess that her dad loved her but used her as a pawn to gain prestige and wealth for his kingdom. She was packed up and sold to the highest bidder And she never had a choice over her future, not one. In fact, her only value is the value that she could bring to her father. And so I can't imagine the rejection that she felt knowing that she was just a pawn and a tool to make his kingdom better. She didn't even have a choice over who she was going to marry. And I can't can't even begin to understand what that would feel like. I know some of you are raised and have grown up in other countries, and maybe you have a better idea of that. Different cultures have different standards. Uh, But for her, I can understand how once she got out of that kingdom and ended up with Ahab and he was passive, she's like, oh boy, I'm going to take advantage of this because I don't ever want to feel out of control again. I want to be master of my own destiny, and I'm going to make sure that happens. But her crime wasn't that she had great leadership skills, y'all. Her crime wasn't a I can do it attitude or take charge attitude. It was the fact that she used her influence to serve herself and to bring about her desires rather than serving other people. And in this passage, 1 Kings 21, 5 through 7, which I'll read in a little bit, it looks like See, a lot of times when we do this and struggle with the Jezebel spirit, we like to make it look like we're trying to help you. Oh, my goal is just to help you. But really, we're just trying to protect ourselves. And that's what Jezebel is doing here. She's trying to protect 
herself. And so she's trading what God has for her for a counterfeit sense of safety and security. I don't know why, but I feel the need to pause right here. I didn't in the first service, but that isn't that what we do too? When we're struggling with the Jezebel spirit, when we're out of control, we settle for a counterfeit of being in control instead of giving God the control. So that's just free. In the end, she caused harm and death to those closest around her, her husband and her children, to uh, the nation of Israel, ultimately, all out of her desire for self-protectionism. And it's so crazy because oftentimes when we operate in this spirit, we think we're protecting ourselves and we're not. We're actually hurting others. And so you see that in 1 Kings 21, 5 through 7, his wife Jezebel came and said, or his wife came to him and said, why are you sullen? Why aren't you eating? And he's like, because I can't, I can't get, I can't get the veggie garden that I want. And she's like, okay, this is not how a king acts. So I'm just going to take care of it for you. And really, the truth is, she was just annoyed. So there are two things that we can see that a controlling spouse does, and we're going to talk about those. But we're going to also talk about the hope here, because if you really relate with this and you're saying, man, I can see myself struggling with the Jezebel spirit, I want to give you hope, because there's two things that you can do right now, right now as we end this service, to change that in your life. So the first two things that to recognize a Jezebel spirit in your life is the first thing a controlling a controlling spouse does whether it's male or female is belittle their spouse with their words. And I would take this further and I would say not just their spouse, but other co-workers or people in their life, maybe children. You see it right here. She says, "Is this how a king of Israel acts?" And let me tell you, that was not a compliment. She's basically saying, hey, you idiot, get up, man up, suck it up, and get over it and get yourself that vineyard. But instead of saying even get up and get the vineyard, she's like, be the king you're supposed to. Well, I guess you're not going to be that, so why don't I be it for you? Guess I'm going to have to wear the pants is kind of what she is saying right here. It's not a compliment. And it's good to understand that we're either building our spouse up with our words or we're tearing them down. And I guarantee they are becoming exactly what you're speaking over them. Our words are so important. And Tyrone, I've got to just hand it to you because you speak over me really, really well. And specifically, I can't tell you how many times I meet people for the first time that already know Tyrone, and the first thing out of their mouth is, I've heard so much about you. Your husband tells me that you're a great preacher. You're a leader of leaders. You're a great mother. Um, And to hear that he is bragging about me behind my back, (laughs) just, I don't know. I mean, maybe it it explodes my ego. It makes me feel like, yes, I want to be that. I want to attain that. And it just changes even my countenance. But we're being honest today. And so even this morning, as I went and got those lovely donuts that you're buying down there, I was so irritable. And I could feel myself using the words of my own mouth to suck the joy right out of my atmosphere of my home. Man, it can happen in an instant with one word. But on the flip side, so can encouragement. You can flip it on a dime just by speaking life. 
And I'm going to speak to Christian wives in here today. If you are a Christian wife, man, one of the number one things I hear from Christian women is that my husband just is not strong enough spiritually. A direct quote, he just does not measure up spiritually. I hear it time and time and time again. Did you know that positive motivation is much more powerful than negative speech? Telling him he doesn't measure up, talking about how he doesn't measure up, or they, if they're in your workplace, is not going to make them better. See, when we encourage, it lifts us up. It makes us want to do better. It makes us want to be the person that they're speaking out. And I just want to clarify, I'm not talking about talking through issues. Because in relationships, you should have honesty and talk through issues. But how and when do that matters? The attitude of your heart, your tone, ladies, that absolutely, absolutely matters. And that, dude, that was free, okay? So we can either defeat and shrink the people in our lives and cause them to give up, or we can lift them up. No man has ever crawled out from underneath the complaining and nagging of his wife to be a better man. No matter how true the complaining and nagging might be, it's not going to make him better. Those are going to be found in different conversations, right? Proverbs 18, 31, words kill and words give life. They are either poison or they are fruit. You choose. What relationships are you possibly poisoning right now with negative talk? Consider that. The controlling spouse prophesies into existence the negative things they are speaking. The very things they don't want to see happen, they're speaking it into existence. So they belittle their spouse with their words. And number two, they take over. And I'm a little guilty about this because I'm like, I can do it faster and I can do it better. The Lord's convicting me of this, right? And Jezebel says, all right, you can't get it done, son. So I'm going to be taken over. I will get that vineyard for you. And so what the controlling spouse does when they take over is they make the weak spouse weaker. Just sitting in your car right now, how many seats are in the front of your vehicle? Honk for how many seats? Yep, two. There are two seats. There are 24 honks. Okay, sorry. There, there are two seats in the front. There's the responsible seat and then there's the carefree seat. Which one do you think is the responsible seat? If you are sitting in the responsible seat, you can honk again. Yes, because the responsible seat is the driver's seat, right? The driver's seat determines where you're going, knows where you're going, has to read the signs, has to be in the know of what's going on. And then there's shotgun. And so Here's the thing about the driver's seat. You need to know the map. You need to know the directions. You need to know where it's, what's going on. And I'm not good at that. Can we just say Amy is directionally challenged? It is not a gifting of mine, and I am darn well okay with it. So I take shotgun and the carefree seat. In the carefree seat, I make sure the drinks are filled out. I filled up. I pass out the food. I determine the radio and the temperature, and I take naps because naps are great, and I can do that because I am not sitting in the responsible seat. Ladies, when you desire your man to be in the driver's seat, 
and you get in that seat, only one person can sit there. And if you take that seat, he can't. Can I just say that? There's only one person that can sit in the driver's seat at a time. And if we continue to fight for that seat with our spouse, that spouse is going to give it up. And maybe they're going to give it up not because they don't want to fight you anymore, but because they take your fight as reason to believe that they can't lead you. They receive your arguments as reason to believe that they just are not good enough to do it. And they really start to believe that they can't. And so what do they do? They take the chill seat, my favorite seat, the nap seat, right? Number one frustration in most women in their marriage is when their husband takes the chill seat, takes the chill seat in disciplining the children, takes the chill seat in the homework of the children, takes the chill seat um, in the relationship with the family, takes the chill seat in devotionals, takes the chill chill seat in chores, takes the chill seat in finances, takes the chill seat in our spiritual development of our household because they just don't feel like they can lead you spiritually. Maybe they're not taking the chill seat because they don't care. Maybe they're taking the chill seat because they don't feel like they can. Did you ever think about that for a moment? If we constantly step into the God-given role of our spouse, we're preventing them from fulfilling their own destiny, and we're deflating them. And I'm not perfect at this. Let me tell you. My way to take charge is I'll just redo it. I'll just redo it. That's my theme, but I've noticed a consistent theme for Tyrone. If I redo it, he just doesn't want to do it ever again because he's like, well, it wasn't good enough and you just redid it. Why should we waste our energy? And Tyrone says, amen behind me if you can't hear that. (laughs) And so I have learned Tyrone makes the bed every day for us, and I am actually really grateful for that. So I have learned not to fix it, at least in front of him. If I do fix it, I do fix it sometimes, but not all the time. <laughs> okay. But I have learned to let go of my perfectionism. Gosh, you guys, there's a way to fold towels and there's a way to put dishes in the dishwasher. But sometimes I don't want to be the one always doing it. And so if I don't step into that role, it gives him a chance to step in. And there's, there's even more to that. If I want to help Tyrone, I can't be redoing it for him, right? You can be a woman who is not controlling, um, but you might be an A-type personality or a leading, uh, a person with leadership gifts like myself. It doesn't always mean that you have the spirit of Jezebel, but it does mean that you have to make the choice to trust your spouse and not use your influence to crush them. Can I just say that one more time? You can have a gift of leadership, but don't use your leadership against your spouse. And so that means not taking things over. If I'm always taking control, he will always be sitting in the passenger seat in areas of our lives where I want him to leave. And honestly, Tyrone and I, we share the driver's seat a lot. But the way that we do it is to agree on it. We talk about it together. 
And if I, if we agree that I'm going to sit in the driver's seat and then he comes over and takes over, I'm going to feel like a failure. Because man, when people redo my work, I don't know if you've ever sat back and watched somebody redo your work, but it feels like crap, man. You feel like a failure um, versus someone coming and saying, you did a great job. But when we agree together based off giftings, and then I choose to let him be in that driver's seat, I'm going to let him be in the driver's seat. I'm not going to tell him how he's doing it wrong. I'm not going to try and take over while he is in the driver's seat. And then the second thing I'm going to do is I am going to pray. I'm going to, or wait, not second thing. I'm sorry. I got a little lost here because it's very bright out here, can I just say? It's hard to see. So two things that a controlling spouse does is they belittle their spouse with their words and they take over, okay? Two things you can do right now to combat this area of your life, whether you're married or you're single, because let me be real, like I said, if you're doing this with your spouse, you're doing it at work probably too and in other relationships. So the two ways that you can combat this right now today because there is hope, is that you can pray. You can pray, not for your spouse, for yourself. You can pray that God delivers you from a spirit of control or a controlling spirit. You can pray that God gives you words of encouragement to speak over your spouse or the people you're working with or your children. You can ask God to open your eyes to see those people the way he sees them so that you have something to prophesy over them. And then You can stay out of the way. Pray and stay out of the way. Can I just say, even if they mess up, stay out of the way. Let them mess up. Let them grow. Let them have a chance to help or even to ask for help. Give them a chance to ask for help before you come in and take over. You don't have to make your spouse more like you. In fact, let's be real. You didn't marry them because they were just like you. You married them because of who they are. You fell in love with who they are. And it's so interesting because when we're dating, we prophesy over them all the time. Oh gosh, I could see you being a great husband. I could see you being a great wife. But then we put the ring on the finger and click. Okay, now you gotta be it. Right now, today, or I'm mad and I'm irritated, but they may still be growing into that person. So stay out of the way. This is how God, sorry, you know what? Oh, oops, I got messed up. Okay. So we pray and then we let God do the work he needs to do no matter how long it takes for it to be accomplished. And we just believe the best in our spouse and those that we're working with. And we call into existence that which we cannot see just yet. Isn't that what God did for us? For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Not his nagging. Not his constantly telling us what we're doing wrong. It's his kindness. So we pray and we stay out of the way. You know, as we talk through this, brings up some issues that, you know, maybe many of us can identify with. And I kind of admitted earlier that I can not just be passive, I can actually be very controlling. And by God's grace, he's helped me, he's helped Amy, We've gr- we're growing through this. And when, when Amy grows and works on something and, and she gr- is growing in and through a situation, it really blesses me. It blesses our marriage. 
vice versa, when it happens in me, it blesses her, our family, our marriage, it blesses people around us. And I just say that to say, we all have issues that we're working through and growing through, and we have a really good opportunity coming up a week from tomorrow with a thing called Freedom Course. And it's something that, she, that, that God could use in your life to help deliver you, set you free from some issues that are holding you back, that are weighing you down. There's an in-person group that meets a week from tomorrow night right here at the church. There's an online group on Thursday nights that's going to meet, but that starts next week, a week from tomorrow. Freedom Course ends with the Freedom Conference. It is a phenomenal experience. I highly, I cannot recommend this course and conference enough uh, God will bless you. He will do a great work in you, and it will bless your marriage and all of your relationships as well. Uh, I, I promise you in that. So as I think about this story here, Ahab and Jezebel, I wonder if Jezebel felt like she had to step in and take control because Ahab tended to be a little passive when it came to things at home. So she's like, I got to make this happen. And that's just a reminder to us as men to make sure that we don't get lackadaisical, just kind of lay around. We don't want to be passive when it comes to our marriage and our family. In fact, men, can I, if I just want to speak to you just for a few moments here, these last few moments together, I just want to encourage you with this truth. You have the God-given responsibility to lead. God has called you. He has equipped you. By His Spirit, He wants to empower you men to lead, to lead your wife, to lead your family. I would even say so many of you have grandkids already. You're in that amazing season to even lead your entire extended family and grandkids. God has called you men to lead. And there's three areas that God has called us to lead. And this is something you'll see all throughout scripture, by the way, where, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, Jesus is the head of the man, man's the head of, head of the wife. And it's not like a who's better, who has more power, because they're really, the husband and wife are equal in working through things. I believe in Ephesians 5, we mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But there is a, a position thing where we get things in order that, that God can bless, that God can use that. And so there's three things that men can do to help the family as they lead the family. And so three things, men, if you're taking notes, you and I are called to provide. We're providers. So what that means is that women, your job is to be at home, barefoot, pregnant in the kitchen, and raising the kids. That's what you're called to do, right? Okay, just kidding. I am totally joking on that. Please, please, uh, uh, thank you. That was a laugh from the joke, right? Uh, so uh, obviously women can work. I know a lot of wives that make more money than their husbands, and that is a, that's totally fine. So this, I'm not saying that the man can be the only one that provides, but this is part of the calling for the man to be a, a provider. And man, you might not even be gifted to handle the finances. Maybe the wife is better at that. And that's awesome. I know a lot of couples where the wife handles all of that. And that's probably a good thing because she's gifted at it. Uh, but this really means that as a provider, the man needs to set the tone in the home when it comes to how, how we live in every area of our life. But how are we going to handle our finances? Are we going to do it in a God-honoring way, in a biblical way? Uh, and as you do that, I promise you, God's going to bless you. He will bless your family as you make sure and provide for your family in this way. Yes, you are making money for your family to support your family, but you're also making sure that your family doesn't go into too much debt. 
You're guarding your family there. You're providing uh, a great atmosphere in the home financially and just uh, an atmosphere of love. You want to provide that type of atmosphere. Provide uh, an, a, a home that just cares, that loves one another, that serves one another. Okay, so we're providers. Number two, we are protectors. God has called us to be a protector, which is more than just, say, someone's breaking into your home, get the gun and protect your family. Okay, that could happen. That could be a part of it. Uh, for me, I don't actually own a gun, but I got a bat. I got two bats, baseball bats. So if that ever happened to my family, I just would go full on ninja with my baseball bat and just grab it out. Okay, that's, that's, that's how I would protect my family. But we're protectors, and that could be a moment that we need to protect, but it's more than that. We want to protect our wife. We want to protect her heart. We want to protect her emotionally. We're there for her. We're, we're, we're a strength to her. We're a place of stability to her. We can protect her by assuring her of our love. We will always love her. We will always be faithful to her. We will always be there for her. And she needs that type of protection and that type of stability. We're called to protect men. If you got kids, protect your kids. You need to step in sometimes and say, hey, kids, we're not going to do this out of protection. I, I, I'm going to say you can't go hang out with those people because of the influence on their life is not good for you, and I'm going to protect you. So we've got to step in and not just provide, but to protect. And those two things, we kind of get those things. They kind of come a little bit more naturally than this last one, but this last one's very important, and we're called the pastor. We're called the pastor our wife, and our family. This is a big deal. And this is the one where a lot of us start to feel a little awkward, like, I don't know how to do this. And I get it. I can remember feeling this years ago, like, I, I got kids now. I want to pastor my family and my kids. Okay, I don't know how to do this. I, it, I struggled. And that was weird because I'm a pastor. Like, that's my job. <laughs> and I preach and teach the word. and I talk about God to people, yet... I don't know how to pastor my own family. And so I really had to learn how to pastor my family. And I had to push through the awkwardness and grow in this. And we want to help equip you, husbands, men, to pastor your family. We want to be there for you. We want to encourage you. And just know that God's grace is there for you wherever you're at in this. But we have a really cool thing called this Family Devo Packet that we put together for Family Month. You know, this is the last Sunday of Family Month. And when you leave and exit the parking lot... You, uh, you'll, you can drop the, the Connect card, giving envelopes in that bucket. And also there, Matt will have that bucket. Matt will have a Family Devo packet. If you haven't gotten one of those, it's a simple tool that we want to give you families where you can just have spiritual conversations with your kids about the Word, talk about God. And I think, you know, pastoring your family can be just something as simple as having conversations with your family like, how did you see God at work today in your life? Hey, let's just open up a... Uh, some scripture here. Let's just read it. Hey, what do you guys think about that? So to pastor your family doesn't mean you have to have two hour exegetical expository studies on the book of Leviticus, because that's probably not going to happen in most families, right? And uh, in probably any family. And so I'd love to see the family that does that. That's that, you know, there probably is a family that does that. But to pastor your family is just making sure we're having God conversations, and we're putting Jesus first in our home and in our marriage. Pastor your family. Can I just say, men, God has equipped you. He has empowered you. And by his spirit, he wants to anoint you to lead your family, to pastor your family, and to lead them well. 
And I'm praying for you to do that. Like my heart, I, I mentioned this last week, man, I want to be a hero in my own home. That's a big thing on my heart. I want to be a hero in my own home. And I, I believe this starts with me just making sure I pastor my family. As I grow closer to Jesus, I pray that Amy grows closer to Jesus because we're doing this together. I'm encouraging her. I pray that my kids grow closer to Jesus as I grow closer to Jesus. I'm just taking everybody on a journey. Let's all get closer to Jesus together. So let's end. Amen. Amen. And again, men, God's grace is on you for this. Let us know how we can help you. But this is a very big deal as illustrated by how this story ends here. We're going to go to the end of this story here. And Jezebel, essentially, she uh, steps in and takes control of the situation. You know, Ahab's just lying around and he's, he's, uh, he's, uh, oh, okay, my message died. All right, I lost it. So Ahab's thrown a fit. Jezebel says, I'm going to take control. I'm going to do this. So she devises this plan and basically she puts together a party. And in this party, she's like, let's invite Naboth, who owns this vineyard that my husband wants but can't get, is thrown a fit about. And let's have someone accuse him of some false things. And so they do this. They have this party. He gets accused of saying things against God and against the king. And so he doesn't do it, but he's accused of it. And so these guys throw him, take him outside, and they stone him to death. They literally murder Naboth. Remember that from the story? And so Naboth's dead. And, and what's interesting about this is who God holds responsible for the murder of Naboth. So let's go to the end of the story here. 1 Kings 21, verse 15. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He's no longer alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Uh, okay, man of God's coming in. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Man, that's crazy. So who does... God hold accountable for the murder of Naboth. And it wasn't the man who actually stoned him to death. And it wasn't even Jezebel who devised the plan to get the guy to be stoned to death. God held Ahab accountable. And man, this just shows us the responsibility that we have. Men, God will hold us accountable for our family, for those around us. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I say that to show you the responsibility and the privilege that we have to lead and to pastor. Men, I pray that you would lead your families courageously and strong in the grace of God, empowered by his spirit, the best that you possibly can. And you might think, how do I do this? How do I do this? Well, God will help you. God will show you. But Ephesians 5, 25, I think is a very key verse when it comes to us men leading our families and our wives. 
Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's it right there. Husbands, love your wives the way that Jesus loved his wife, his bride, the church. He went to the cross, he laid down his life, and he died for her. Husbands, love your wife in that way. Serve, serve self-sacrificially, give. Don't just think of yourself and do your own thing. Give of yourself, love and serve your wife and your family. And man, I pray that God uses you and anoints you to do that the best that you possibly can. He's called you to lead, man. He's called you to lead. So ladies, I pray that you would make a weak man stronger. Men, I pray that you would lead your family well, closer to Jesus. And I'm going to pray for all the marriages right now. And just pray that God will strengthen you and, and really pray for all of us, whether you're single or married. We're going to take a few moments and we're going to pray. And maybe you're listening to this online or you're here and hanging out in the parking lot with us and you've never said yes to Jesus. We've talked about how much he loves us today. We've just read a, looked at one scripture, Ephesians 5.25, that says Jesus laid down his life for us. He died for us because he loves us. And so... Maybe you need to say yes to Jesus today, yes to following him, and, and just accept the fact that it was your sin that he died for on the cross. And when you believe in him and what he did for you, your relationship with him can be restored. You can receive the grace of God. Your past is forgiven, and you're in relationship with the God who made you and gave you life. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And so maybe you need to say yes to Jesus and ask for forgiveness today and begin a relationship with him. That, my friends, is the greatest decision of your life. So we're going to pray right now. And if you need to pray that prayer, why don't you just pray that along with me? So would you all join me in prayer right now? Lord, we come to you and we're just so thankful for your love. Jesus, we're thankful for what you did for us on the cross. How you died in our place. You paid the penalty for our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And I, we just, again, come to you for forgiveness and grace. Some of us, for the first time right now, we're asking forgiveness for our sins. And I pray, Jesus, you would fill us with your spirit. You would make us a new creation and you would help us, empower us to walk in relationship with you and to follow you for the rest of our lives. And I want to pray for all the marriages that are here right now. All the marriages. In fact, if you're listening online or you're here, here in the parking lot and you're with your spouse, would you guys just, maybe just grab hands right now as I pray for you? Just hold hands. And I've learned that Amy loves it when I do this for her, when I just grab her hand and I say, let's pray. There's something amazing that takes place in our relationship when I do this. Just let's grab hands. Let's pray together right now. And Jesus, I just pray for all the marriages that are here. And I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that their marriage would be healthy, vibrant, and strong as they look to you, as they put their trust in you, as they put you Jesus at the center of their life, the center of their heart, and the center of their marriage is they let you work through these issues in their heart. Maybe one of them is controlling, one of them is passive. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would just work in their life and that you would help them grow in these areas, Lord. Set them free. Help them talk about these things in, in grace and in love. 
to work through these issues. And Lord, I'm just praying for strong, healthy marriages in Jesus' name. I pray that over every marriage here right now. Bless them, God. Bless their marriage. Bring them closer together. Lord, bless their family, I pray, tremendously. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.